Welcome to Dudes on Movies, a podcast where dudes talk about movies. I'm your dude, Scott. I'm your dude, Dave. And today we're discussing 1998's The Big Lebowski, directed by the Coen brothers and starring Jeff Bridges and John Goodman. But before we do that, let's talk about what we've been watching. Dave, what have you been watching? I watched Lords of Chaos. It was streaming on Canopy. And it's a dramatization of Norwegian black metal from the early 90s. Oh, yes. I've heard of this. Yes. Yeah. And it was pretty entertaining if you're into that stuff. Uh, it's got Rory Culkin as uh, Euronymous, and then Emery Cohen plays Varg Vikernes, the guy who, you know, committed all those crimes. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in what was going on in Norway in the early 90s, then, um, you know, check it out because it, you, you'll have a good time. Yeah, don't let your mom or dad know, though, because no, they're going to get in an uproar. Certainly not. Yeah, you don't want your parents in the room for this music. They're going to ruin your record collection. And- you, God damn, you're right. I've almost watched this several times. Um, <laughs> I might have to now, yeah. uh, based on this recommendation. Yeah, it's, it's well, a cool movie. I mean, you and I definitely love that crap, so... Right. Yeah. Right. But uh, that's awesome, man. Lords <laughs> of Chaos. I caught Bones and All, the oh, new wow. Luca Guadagnino movie. Yeah. It's phenomenal, dude. Damn, I gotta, I mean, I gotta check I, it out. I know you'll love it. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, this is... It's a movie about uh, like young teenagers or maybe 20-year-old, something like that, but... Uh, about feeling alone and finding yourself and young love and all that comes with that. But it's also a cannibal movie. It's terrifying, disturbing, and gory. Shit, man. And uh, <sighs> this movie hits you in all the feels. <laughs> right. In all forms of feels, good and bad. Okay. It is a great movie. Uh, the cast is phenomenal. Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet are kind yeah. of the leads and they're in love. Uh, Mark Rylance comes in and is one of the creepiest performances ever, if you ask me. That is what I heard the same thing that like Mark Rylance is especially scary in the I've, movie. I've like grown to love Mark Rylance recently yeah. because for a while I didn't really love him. Like he got an award for Bridge of Spies, I right. think, and I, I didn't like that role. Like he was good, but it, it didn't I, scream it felt, Oscar winner to yeah, me. Yeah, it know. just felt not that great. Right. And since then, I've come to really appreciate this guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he can do anything. Yes. And it also has uh, some Chloe Sevigny in it. And, no kidding. All right. And uh, Michael Stuhlbarg. Oh, holy boy. Sh- geez, the stars so, come out. It's um, They're just like smaller parts, but man, yeah. they show up and you're like, oh, baby, this movie's fantastic. Hell yes. Uh, definitely recommend that. So now that we've talked about what we've been watching, let's talk about The Big Lebowski, Dave. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give everyone a synopsis? Uh, sure. Well, um... This is um, uh, the Coen Brothers, uh, their, their, their tribute to their tribute to and send up of noir detective films and stories, particularly mm-hmm. like Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe character. And it's characterized by a complex layered plot that ultimately doesn't lead anywhere. And um, in the last 20 years, it's become one of the biggest cult movies of all time, as you know. So uh, let's dig in. Yeah, man. And just... Put it out there right now. This is just like our opinion, man. Got to <laughs> kick it off that way. So That's if right. you have a different opinion, yes. it's fine. You mind if I do a J? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Um, so the movie kicks off with the the famous Sam Elliott voiceover and the tumbleweed rolling through the desert and then eventually through downtown LA. And yeah. A great way to start the movie, if you ask me, mm-hmm. because 
this rambling, just the voiceover rambling and the tumbleweed, tumbleweed just going random through the city is kind of what the dude does, you know? Yes. It's a perfect metaphor to kick it off with. And when we first meet the dude, he is buying some half and half at Ralph's. Oh my God. And he's paying for it with a check for made out for 69 cents. cents. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's the perfect uh, slacker move you know in 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 every possible way it is he's wearing his bathrobe yep um and just <laughs> the half and half it pops up throughout the whole movie you know he's having his white russians or whatever yes, he's drinking it's a white russian and what gets me is the the half and half is just left open on the on the bar why does he do that he doesn't refrigerate this and he sniffs it every time. Every time. And he That's even, how lazy he is. Exactly. And he's even sniffing <laughs> while he's buying it. Like, he, he's afraid that, like, they've done his move. Right, um, yeah. I mean, I, just just put the stuff in the fridge, dude. <laughs> you know? I love it. <laughs> so, full disclosure, like, I was never huge on this movie. Mm. But I think I am now. Good. Like, like, I liked it before when I've seen it. And every time I've seen it, I liked it a little more. And this time I just, I think I'm all in on it now. Thank God, dude. I am a dude. Well, I'm, I'm glad I mean, to hear. I mean, we're dudes. Yeah, we're, we're the well, dudes. We completely, so. of yeah. course. We are the dudes. I mean, yeah. And <laughs> like, I, I think that the, the part of this movie, it, it's, it's one of these films that you can't, there are no half measures with it. It's not a thing where I saw that one time and it was right. okay. It's, it's, it really is. If you like it, it's kind of a way of life or it becomes that way. I think you'll yeah. probably end up seeing it 20 more times now that you're in. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll want to pick it apart again and also, um, or pull it apart again, I should say. And yeah. all the dialogue will start to integrate itself into your everyday life. You know, all the dudeism. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we got the half and half out of the way. Uh-huh. Like the movie right after he comes home, like he gets jumped by Mark Pellegrino. <laughs> Dude's favorite Mark Pellegrino yes, showing exactly. up. I forgot he was in this. The last time we saw Mark Pellegrino, he was booked into losing a fight against Corey Haim in Prayer of the Roller Boys. Oh, man. A hundred midnights ago for the dudes. <laughs> I think and that was episode 150. Something like that. 149. No, 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 no. It was 100. 50. No, 50? Yeah, it was, it was a lot. I don't, you know what? I don't know. I think Who it was knows? 50. Okay. I know it was one of those big okay, numbers. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. But. <laughs> It was it was a long time ago, and we're glad to see him again. Wait, wasn't he in uh, the Hulk Hogan movie also? That no was that was barred? also like a hundred episodes ago. Okay, whatever. Yeah. But Mark Pellegrino back, baby. Yes, <laughs> um, which is great. <laughs> he immediately dunks the dude's head in the toilet, mm-hmm. but the half and half also spills everywhere, oh. and like the toilet is filled with it. These little touches that the Coens throw in here just make the movie hilarious. Yes, you see it, and it means nothing. <laughs> But it means everything to the feel of the movie. Right. It made me think, too, of like, I remember when I first saw it, I didn't realize that the that the white splotches on the wall and the and the back of the toilet were from the half and half that he just bought. Um, and I was wondering, <laughs> what was, did, did had, he, had he put something in his toilet beforehand and that's like kind of splashing around? But no, no, it's, right, it's, it's the, the half and half. It's the half and half. Right. And the funny thing is how like nonchalant the dude is almost during this. He's just like, man, stop. What are you doing, dude? If someone like, came, not if, like If you came home or... <laughs> and someone gave you a swirly, I mean, like, it would be, a stranger in your house and the other guy's pissing on your rug. I mean, oh, wouldn't dude. you be just like completely out of sorts, but no. Right. And this is the catalyst for the movie, right? Like <laughs> these guys jump him, pee on his rug. <laughs> they think he's this other guy named Jeff Lebowski who is a rich, you know, millionaire and mm-hmm. he's an enterprising man and has all these huge companies and he's the big Lebowski. He's the big Lebowski man. So they think <laughs> that this is him. 
But these these goons are freaking idiots. And they the funny thing is they say like we're not dumb, you know? Like we're not idiots. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you are. It's Mark Pellegrino says, wait a minute, isn't this guy supposed to be rich? And they're in this like shit hole apartment beating up this dude. <laughs> <laughs> and and he he comes to the realization after he yeah he says isn't this guy supposed to be rich and then as he's walking away realizing they got the wrong guy he turns around to the dude and has the audacity to say thanks a lot asshole right yeah like it's his fault and his his other his other real moment of like being a dumbass is when he pulls the bowling ball up and says the fuck is this yeah and the dude has the best line, one of the best lines in the movie. He says, "Obviously, you are not a golfer," yep. which always gets me. I, I love it. I, I, just, just a great line. And then he drops the ball and cracks the tile on the floor. Fucking bastard! What an I know. I mean, these guys, their job is to fuck shit up. So, <laughs> right? I mean, of course. But yeah, what an idiot! He <laughs> he seriously doesn't know what a bowling ball is. <laughs> It's not it's not ironic or anything. The character is just that dumb. I know <laughs> exactly. So, like I said, this is the catalyst because the guy peed on his rug. Philip Moon's character, the other goon, yep. pees on the rug. And <laughs> the dude wants to be compensated for this. I mean, and it's only fair, yeah. I mean, the dude just wants his rug back because uh, the rug really tied the room together, as we know. Right. And uh, this is where we meet Walter, John Goodman's character, the other main character in the movie, yeah. basically. Um, they're bowling and... He's telling Walter all about what happened, and Walter keeps telling him, like, we need to go get, you need a rug, you need to get paid for this, like, this isn't right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, Walter's Walter's reaction to everything is the nuclear reaction. It is. You know, he always wants, like, he wants somebody's blood in every situation. Yeah. And he runs a security company, apparently. He's like a private eye. Uh, and also, like a, a, I don't know, an arms dealer of some kind. I mean, he, it's just soap check security is somewhere in Hollywood, and I don't know what he does there. Maybe he sells army surplus, but he's a he's a goon. That would make sense. Yes, yeah, like he's a loose cannon. Like yes. he's he's a Vietnam vet. I think he's a Vietnam. He's a Vietnam, Vietnam vet, right? Yes, he's a Vietnam vet. He obviously has PTSD. Yeah, and can't control himself. He's not doing anything about it. He's he's oafish. Like he's. <laughs> He thinks he's smarter than he is. Yeah. That's for sure. Not that he's a dumb character. He's not dumb. He's not stupid like the way like Mark Pellegrino's character is. Uh, yeah, exactly. But um, he's not the brightest bulb either. I think he's done a lot of reading about reading. You <laughs> yes, know? That's right, yeah. He's not understanding it. <laughs> exactly. But he just says he, he did it, and he thinks now he's smart. It's yeah. part of his frame of reference, a lot yeah. of stuff, but like it never actually sunk in, and it doesn't affect his life, and he doesn't know how to apply it. Like, there's this scene when he wants to, when they're throwing the cash money briefcase out of the car, he comes up with the plan to throw his underwear out of the car in right. a different briefcase. Thinking, like, they're going to be rich. He doesn't think through anything. Like you said, he's just a nuclear oh, reaction. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. He doesn't just sit there and think, oh, well, what about this or that? What happened? If we do that, then this is going to happen. <laughs> no, we should do this. Let's go. He's full force, ready to go. <laughs> to the point where he, he does that, that insane maneuver of, like, asking the dude to take the wheel... <laughs> And then he like, lo like tumbles out of the car with his loaded machine gun. With his Uzi. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude! He and, and it goes off, and it's yeah, spinning. it doesn't work. I of mean, course, uh, uh, oh. yeah, like his plan doesn't work. And obviously, he, and he says he's going to slow down to fifteen miles an hour. And <laughs> if you if you go fifteen go fifteen miles an hour in a car at some point and open the door and look at how fast the ground is moving. Yeah, it's gonna you're gonna get hurt. It's gonna hurt. Right. 
great. Um, but yeah, that's his mindset. Like he has, he just doesn't think things through. No. He reacts. Yes. That's it. <laughs> to the point where even where, where the it's like like the handoff thing, and we skipped around a bit, but like they're in the bowling alley, the reaction when when Smokey yeah. goes over the line. Oh yeah. Um, you know Walter's reaction is. You know, he first just just yells over the line. Right. Then he starts to threaten Smokey. Then, yeah. you know, when Smokey isn't like, you know, keep saying it. Oh, well, fuck that. Market eight, dude. Yeah. Um, Walter pulls a gun on him and it's not like it's not discreet. He's yelling and screaming and yeah. pointing the gun at Smokey. He's making a scene and he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't he, he doesn't think like we said. Right. What are the consequences of this? No. You cross the line. It's a league game, Smokey. <laughs> it's a league game. That's right. And that's, now you're entering a world point. of pain. <laughs> he, he's pulling a gun on this guy. And I think he will shoot him. Oh, of course he will. He will 100% shoot this guy <laughs> if they don't mark a zero. Because he was ready to kill the nihilists like yeah. at, at the end of the movie. So he, I, I, I can't. I mean, I would hope that he wouldn't kill Smokey. But like, cause Smokey seems like kind of a a nice dude, right? Exactly. But Walter (laughs) would, because it's a league game and you know, (laughs) and there's, you know, and he he tells everybody, this isn't Nam. There are consequences. (laughs) (laughs) As if Nam had no consequences. Walter is an amazing character. Yes. So well written. And I know the Coens wrote this for John Goodman. This is right. like the third movie they did together. Yeah. So they know what he can do and bring to this. So right. They, they, this is a golden character. <laughs> There's no, it's, I mean, it's no wonder this movie has such a following. I know. I mean, because every, every character is like... You know, there's so many like offshoots of like the Star Wars expanded universe. <laughs> you yes, could do that right. with the Big Lebowski so easily. I mean, I mean, they did the Jesus movie and, and or whatever. Yes, exactly. And I, I wish the Coens had kind of signed off on that. I know that once once it gets started, it would get shitty, of yeah. course, because it always does. But it's just fun to, I guess, fantasize about like the idea of like another Walter adventure. Yeah, right. You know, or or a Donnie prequel. Yeah, like, you know? I want to know more about Donnie because that's Steve Buscemi's character. Yes. He's the third guy on the bowling team. Right, and he's kind of just there he doesn't do much in the movie he's just there kind of making jokes and his interaction with walter is so funny because donnie keeps chiming in like when the dude and walter are talking but he doesn't know what's really they're talking about (laughs) and like you said walter is nuclear right he instantly tells donnie to shut the fuck up you don't know what you're talking about every time donnie says a single word it's it's so unbelievably rude and it's throughout the entire movie and it's it's just we're only seeing like you know a couple weeks in these characters lives it's been this way for years every yeah. time donnie starts talking his friend walter <laughs> his lifelong friend apparently tells him to shut the fuck up donnie's takes it like just like that's the norm you know right. like he takes it you can tell he's like kind of hurt a tiny bit by what's happened but that's just what happens and he brushes it off oh yeah it just it he goes away in a chiming second. in like when they're talking about like communism and stuff and they mention <laughs> lenin <laughs> steve Buscemi's just like yeah i am the walrus like, <laughs> like they're talking about john lenin like oh my walter is so mad at him <laughs> And he, he says, I am the walrus twice. Yes. Like, he's, I am the walrus. And, and you know, he says you know, something about more, more about Lynn. I am the walrus. And, and finally, Walter. Jesus, Donnie. Exactly. No. Not you know, Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov. <laughs> and 
and it's it's a no, it's a great example of like the this this structure that happens with it's it's mostly with Donnie Walter and the dude where there's two conversations that are always going on when Donnie is nearby. Yes, and it's all perfectly orchestrated, and that's that's never easy for actors to manage. No, you it, know it's so well done, and like the scripting of it is perfect. Yes, and a lot of these scenes lead into other jokes. Like there's a there's so many like deep jokes that are like callbacks to prior things mm-hmm. that were jokes before and now it's a deeper joke. Oh like, yes, yes. Like when uh like the In and Out Burger joke. <sighs> like the three of them are talking about going to get the money back from this kid or whatever who stole the car and they say it's up there and wherever and it's kind of it's by the In and Out Burger and the dude's like. <laughs> No, the the In and Out is on this street, or that's what Donnie says. The In and Out. In and Out's on Camrose. Yeah, and then he said, "It's near the In and Out." Like, <laughs> nuclear again. Yes, exactly. And, like it's a great joke. Cause Steve Buscemi's <laughs> so obsessed with let's get In and Out after we're done. And those stuff. are good burgers. Yeah, Walter. those are good burgers. He just chimes in. Has nothing to do with what the right. other two are saying. <laughs> <laughs> and then later, when the dude is. Over at Ben Gazzara's house, he's telling him where this kid lives. He's like, yeah, it's by the In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> Just he, he uses this joke as another joke, uh-huh. uh, and it goes deeper because the, the tone around it has changed, too. Because previously, they're like, it's stupid. Stop talking about the In-N-Out. No one cares about the In-N-Out. And then later, it becomes important. <laughs> he's like, yeah, it's by the In-N-Out. Yes. <laughs> and there's so many instances of this. Uh-huh. Um, like the tape deck joke, uh, when, when the dude's car is stolen and he's reporting it, he's, they're like, the police officers are saying, you know, well, is there any valuables in it? And he's like, well, there's the tape deck and uh, Credence tapes and, <laughs> and, uh, my briefcase, you know, and the main point is the briefcase because it's supposed to have a million dollars in it. Right, right. Right. And the cops are like, I don't know if you're going to get that tape deck back. Yeah. Or the credence. Okay. Yeah. The, the, or the credence. Line. Yeah. I, I, I love that particular moment because like that cop is sitting there just like staring at the dude through the whole thing. Cause the oh, other yeah. cop is doing all the talking. He's not having it. And he's not, he hates the dude. And the only thing he <laughs> says on the scene, cause the other cop says, you know, um, uh, wouldn't hold out too much hope for the, for the tape deck dough. And he says, or the credence. I mean, he's just so pissed off at the dude. And I, maybe he's just not a CCR fan. I don't right, know. Yeah, but he is know. really mad. Like, or the credence. Dude, I would take the credence if I stole that car, oh, man. Yeah. I want some CCR. Yeah, exactly. That'd be the first thing I'd But take. then later when they find the car and he's at the impound getting it back, <laughs> the guy's like, yeah, luckily the tape deck's still there. And the credence. <laughs> The way every character references the credence. Yeah. I mean, like, like it's like it's just an everyday form of speech, you know. I've never heard it called the credence no, before. I, I, and and just to, to refer to someone's, ta- he has multiple tapes of Credence Clearwater Revival, apparently, and they just say the credence. <laughs> it's the, the, it's so good. Exactly. <laughs> and that's just the surface of the jokes, man. Like right. that's the whole movie has this kind of level of humor embedded in it. And then there's like, um, the Coens are infamous for asking their actors to be word perfect at all times. They don't allow a lot of improvisation, mm-hmm. like almost nothing. So whenever you hear someone going, um, um, well, you know, and that, that's the thing, uh, 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 like that is all in the script. Yeah. Like every seven us is there. 
And then there's another ellipse and you're supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. And so when these guys are, when the actors in these movies are performing this stuff, it is all completely scripted. And that takes a ton of rehearsal. And for, for those jokes that are like the, the nesting doll jokes that we've been talking about for yeah. that to work, you, the, the actors have to really know the material. Yeah. So I guess the, we've, we've been jumping around all over because we're just talking about instances right um that are more just overall things about the movie Mm -hmm. but really the dude wants his rug from the lebowski right he wants money yes this is what happens he goes there the lebowski the big lebowski doesn't want anything to do with him because he's a bum (laughs) and then later goes to him because his trophy wife got kidnapped right yes tara reed plays the trophy wife and david huddleston as the big lebowski um he, he has just, phenomenal uh, uh, what a, what an amazing performance um <laughs> uh, the way he the way he enters the room he's mm-hmm. he's he's a paraplegic um from a, an undisclosed you know situation of what put him in the wheelchair um yeah but he is uh he's essentially i mean i i liken him to uh to mr potter you know um yeah. it's very much the same character just the, the this this guy i mean mr potter uh like he has a stranglehold over the the townsfolk of, of Bedford Falls. Right. This guy isn't quite as prominent, but he's got the same attitude, which is that like I achieved, so you should achieve, uh-huh. and I'm not giving you anything. It right. would it would like be nothing for him to give the dude one of his rugs. Right, exactly. Even if he thinks the dude is lying, if <laughs> if the dude comes to your house and says, "Hey, can I just have a rug? That's all I'm asking for, and then you'll never see me again," I'd probably acquiesce. I would too. And you know, you know why? Because it is almost kind of your fault a little bit. Like of course. your wife's getting in trouble with these goons. Yes. And they were coming after you, but they the mistaken identity, they got the dude. Right. It is kind of your fault. And it's ex- of course it it's is. It's not like a random bum came and said I need a rug. <laughs> right. This guy who was <laughs> injured and robbed uh-huh. because of you came to you and i don't know if he just doesn't believe the dude's story i think i mean it sounds to me like he does so if he believes him then yeah what's stopping yeah, just well, just okay so well, it all sounds we need... like he talked to someone that knows the situation right. and believes him right so yeah why don't you just compensate him you idiot because i he's... thought you were this shrewd businessman he is a late don't stage capitalist dude i mean like it's just it, it's People who have money don't want you to have any. He is He's just like too proud of his position. Of he course. Needs, he doesn't want to help anyone below him. Right. What an asshole. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he's, you know, an unfortunate reality in our society. Can we talk about Brad? <sighs> Brant. Oh, Brant. Yes, Sorry. yes. <laughs> Philip Seymour often is like his... His go-to lackey or whatever. His number two, his, his Smithers. His number two, his butler. Yeah, it's, yeah. Smith- it's Smithers. That's right. <laughs> it's Smithers to his Mr. Burns. Yes. I never put that together. That is so good. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is mwah, I amazing know. in this. I mean, he's he's that in every movie. Right. But man, he's so good in this. I love how he's just like is uncomfortably laughing at everything that's happening. He, he doesn't want the dude to touch things, but he's touching it. And he's like, oh, dude. Thank you. Thank you. Please, please. Thank you. Oh, dude. He's just, he's such an ass kisser. Yeah. It's hilarious, dude. He's just a classic bootlick. And when someone is a professional ass kiss like that, it can go one of two ways. Like it can either be in this case for me, it's like kind of an endearing character. I have no reason to, I have no good reason to like Brant, mm-hmm. but I do probably because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's kind of the same reason I like Mr. Bernstein in Citizen Kane. Yeah. It's this guy who's like a rich man's number two who is just like this true believer, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
I don't know if that exists in real life. Uh, Probably. I mean, maybe it has to in some fashion, I guess. It, it just feels like it wouldn't be quite as just this truly devoted manservant slash assistant slash hatchet man slash fixer mm-hmm. who just is just kind of a do everything Swiss army knife for a rich guy. Yeah. Uh, it's, I guess I, it's, it's not a, it's not an honorable way to live, but somehow because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah. He, he plays a similar role in Boogie Nights too, where he's, um, Scotty J's kind of the lackey for <laughs> well, Dirk. That's, that's true. You know, yeah, he that's becomes right. you're like, right. You're right. Like go to like, worshiper you know and he's way <laughs> and he's he's much less put together you yeah. know in that movie and and yeah this is coming right off the heels of scotty J. I i know man and the awkwardness is like it's just something philip seymour hoffman like did better than anybody this is where he like this is the beginning of hoffman oh yeah this, this stuff here in the, the mid 90s mid right. to late 90s oh baby he's becoming a star and he's and he's like really crafting his just his instrument i mean he he is he is an exceptional actor who it, uh, in a two-hour movie where he's in it for for twelve of those minutes, he stands out. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, we could probably do many episodes just talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, of course we, we probably could. will have to do a special on him. Yes. That's yes. It. The Hoffman Files will come. Oh, Hoffman Files, great show. <laughs> right. It doesn't exist, but it's still great. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Patent pending. <laughs> um. So we meet Maud at some point. Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> Maud Lebowski rules, I know. Maud Lebowski is awesome. Yeah. She's like some uh, like a feminist avant-garde artist. <laughs> She's the the daughter of the Big Lebowski and she knows what's going on. Like she thinks that Tara Reed has set up her own kidnapping to get money out of the foundation they have right. and take it to fund her like pornography career or something like that. <laughs> so the dude shows up and she's there and She's telling him, you know, if you get this money back, I'll give you 10% of it. Right. It's still 100 grand instead of a million. Which yeah. Is good. And she she first encountered the dude because, like you said, she knows everything that's going on. She she showed up with two of her goons at the dude's house and stole <laughs> yes. back the rug that he had stolen from the Big Lebowski. Yeah. And because apparently it was a gift from her mother who is now deceased. And she yeah. that's and you know when she she offers him the 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 deal to have ten percent of the, the the kidnapping winnings, mm-hmm. she just tells him straight up. Well, obviously, a hundred thousand dollars could buy you any number of rugs that don't have sentimental value to me. Yeah. And obviously, this is Julianne Moore, who was all just like Philip Seymour Hoffman was also just on fire, popping it. I mean, in the nineties, oh. I mean, holy crap, she was like exploding, and everything she did, I mean. Also, Boogie Nights. Yeah. You know, I don't know if Amber Waves is, is it's not a better performance than Maude Lebowski. They're, they're the same. I mean. They're both great. They're both just, and Linda Partridge after this in Magnolia also. I mean, just like, like I, I, there's just nothing she cannot they're do. They're also different from each other. I too. mean, and, yes. I mean, yes. In, in this movie, she's she comes from money. She has this, the accent she's doing it. I don't know what it is. It's like Rosalind it, Russell. It's, uh, it's, I mean. It's a snooty, right, rich girl. Right. But she's traveled the world. She's, she's urbane. smart. Right. Yeah. She's nice. She's not like better than anyone right which is a great character trait right she's a it's an awesome character and an awesome performance yes and she doesn't suffer fools yeah like you said she she is a nice person but she like when when you say something stupid she's gonna let you know about it but not in a bad way just Mm -hmm. in a you know hey don't be fatuous jeffrey (laughs) and and i you know i i love when she um there's a moment where there's a tons of moments with Maude, obviously, that I love. But yeah, my, my right. favorite piece of it is when she like tells tells him to go see the doctor. And he, she says, <laughs> he's a good man, Jeffrey, and thorough. 
<laughs> it, it, the thorough really gets me. I, I just, man, it's so good. Right. There, and there's the scene when uh, the dude goes over there and David Thewlis is in this. <laughs> David For Thewlis. like one scene, he's just this like cackling, like skinny art guy. What do you do, Lebowski? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like Maud's friend. Yes. Or Knox Harrington. So the video artist. Knox Harrington, yeah. <laughs> Sitting there and they get a phone call and they all like mod and Knox <laughs> and whoever's on the other end of the line are just doing this like weird cackling laugh yeah. together like yes. on this three-way call right because it's some inside joke between these it's art so people funny. and the dude is just standing there kind of looking at them like what the <laughs> fuck right dude? right <laughs> and and his his uh like david thewlis's look in this movie oh he's got um, that thin like pencil mustache like john waters mustache he's gangly he looks like john waters yeah he does it it, maybe that was what it was he didn't have like the the brill cream in his hair but it was like because he's got a buzz cut but yeah he's he's a lanky weirdo with a pencil thin mustache (laughs) it's awesome yes (laughs) i I didn't remember he's in this i don't think i ever knew he was in this honestly oh okay but um when i saw him i'm like who is that? That, (laughs) is that thulis yes is that thulis and i looked it up i was like holy shit man this guy is dynamite. Right, exactly. Is this the best actor from the 1993 <laughs> Cannes Film Festival? Oh my God, it is. It's it David freaking Thewlis. The best actor of all time? Uh, David uh, the, one of the smartest men to ever live? Yes, there he is. Man, I mean, we are going on and on about this cast well, because yes. it's that good. And and it's like, I, I think just like the movie, you know how we talked about earlier how like the plot doesn't really matter? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't. And so we can jump around because if we went through this piece by piece like we normally would, we wouldn't unravel the plot and it wouldn't make any sense anyway right because the plot doesn't matter exactly in this movie the, it, it almost reminds me of like chinatown in a way yes how of course. jake is just everything's unfolding around him and he doesn't truly understand everything that's happening no that's the dude like he's he stumbling through this story and stuff is happening to him. You're right. Uh, the, the dude is kind of J.J. Giddis in a way. Um, because And he's, he's designed to be like Philip Marlowe in, in some ways. But he's more like... I, I wish that at some point Roman Polanski would have put him up against the wall and, and sliced part of his nose off. Right, yeah. yeah that would have been just like... Because that, that's something that would happen to the dude. Instead, like, he gets a swirly. That's exactly like... Felt like Chinatown to yeah. me. Except it's just this so relaxed, carefree Chinatown. Right. Yes, exactly. And like at the end, you know, it, nothing matters, uh-huh. right? Like you can't do anything. <laughs> I don't know. It is a very complicated <laughs> case, Maude. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of, a lot of what have yous. Um, and you know, he says the same thing to Jackie Treehorn later on. He tells yeah. him, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, yeah, this, uh, a lot of interested parties, uh, you know, yeah. and I mean, it's just a bunch of bullshit. It's all bullshit. He knows there's stuff going on, but he <laughs> doesn't know. Right. You know? <laughs> yes. Like, no one knows. John Polito even tells him, so he's got a trail, like this is like blue, like, like so, Volkswagen, Volkswagen Beetle, Beetle right. is like trailing him throughout the movie. And he eventually like goes over there and confronts him and <laughs> It's John Polito in the car, and he's he tries to escape, but the car won't start. Then he like starts reading a paper, like he's not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> the dude's like, "Get out of the car, man!" And they're like g- gonna fight, like they got their hands up. Red Dukes are up, ready to go, and they're like, "No, don't, don't, don't John Polito, no, don't fight, don't fight me. I'm, I'm just, I'm a detective. I'm a dick, man." Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it, he's complimenting the dude on how well he's playing all sides of this, right. and the dude doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He, like John Polito has seen this from the outside uh-huh. and he's putting all the pieces together <laughs> and he's telling the dude how awesome he is <laughs> and the dude like 
John Polito, <laughs> Dufino, his character, he was hired to find Fawn Knutson yeah. by the Knutsons. And when Jeff Bridges asked him, who the fuck are the Knutsons? <laughs> you know, it, it's he like the protagonist is often the audience stand in. But in that moment, it's like much more so because uh-huh. like you ask he, when he says Fawn Knutson and that he was hired by the Knutsons. This is I the know. first we've heard about any of this. And our first reaction, if we were the dude, we would say, who the fuck are the Knutsons? Right. We've got 15 minutes left of the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And and now we know that like uh, this guy was hired to find Bunny, Bunny Lebowski, the the, tro- the young trophy wife played by Tara <laughs> Reid. And his way of, Dafino's way of like finding her was to just follow the dude all over town. And never intervene. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, to the point of like watching him get arrested when he's ousted from Jackie Treehorn's garden party and when he was sucking around, you know, like the, the beach community, according to the cops. I mean, yeah. just like, and he never helped. He never intervened. No. And and then when he asks, you know, like uh, the dude to help him with a professional courtesy as a brother, Seamus, he tells him to fuck off, Dufino. You know, because like, Dufino doesn't matter either. <laughs> Yeah, nothing matters. <laughs> the dude is tumbling through life, right. just like the tumbleweed at the beginning. <laughs> oh, I guess the German nihilists had a point about like nothing mattering and believing in nothing. Yeah, maybe they are the heroes. It's possible, you know. <laughs> secretly, they are the heroes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the, the the big heroes. <laughs> um, all right, back to Walter. Kind of, he thinks that this kid stole. The dude's car and has the briefcase. Yeah, Larry. Some like teenager. He's what, like seventeen, maybe. Yeah, uh, but I, I was I was 18? gonna say he's like he's he's not quite eighteen. He looks okay. like he's pretty young. So okay. yeah, Larry Sellers. Maybe he's sixteen. Right. Who knows? So they go to his house to confront him to get the money back, and they see a Corvette out in front of this house, and immediately <laughs> assume see he's spending the money. The dude says he went and spent all the money already because yes. the because the Corvette costs a million dollars, dude. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which Walter responds with, no, we probably still have 960, depending what year the car is or whatever. Yeah, and Jesus. Walter's smart, you know, but he's not all there. Exactly. And, and the dude is smart, but he has no conception of money. No. Like, it's just He, does, or, he doesn't or even know finance. what day it is. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's how how carefree this guy floats through life, man. I, you mean coitus? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. that's so funny. <laughs> Sex. Yes. Oh, you mean coitus? <laughs> <A> zesty enterprise. <laughs> Log jamming. Oh yeah, dude. We will talk about log jamming. Porno names. Yes. Oh my god. Gutter balls. (laughs) We will talk about gutter balls next, please. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So they go and confront this kid and try to shake him down and scare him. And of course, Walter goes off the hinges (laughs) because he can't get any. He can't even get the kid to say a word. I know. Let alone yes or no. Right. And so he he flips his shit again. (laughs) Goes outside and starts bashing this Corvette. Which turns out to be the neighbor's car because you're such a fucking idiot and you're assuming this kid bought a Corvette. He never said he did this. He never admitted a thing. It's so stupid. And the neighbor gets the like... The crowbar. The crowbar from Walter and starts destroying the dude's car while Donnie's in it. Yes. Because he's there so they can go to In-N-Out. Right. (laughs) Those are good burgers, Walter. And you see Donnie like get out of the car real quick and he's like in the yard like, oh, what the fuck's happening? (laughs) It's such a great scene that sums up like every character in this movie. 
It, it, it shows exactly who they are. And that maniac who comes running out of the house, <laughs> I mean, justifiably so. Yeah. But like him beating up or, or like taking out all the windows on the dude's Torino is such a false equivalency of him destroying that Corvette. Oh, yeah. You no. know, but he's like, uh, I guess it's his only move. Um, yeah, you got to take your rage out, I guess. Right, he could yes. be hitting Walter. Right. I, I, you, you'd think that that's where it was going, but I, like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, luckily it does not. Um, but like the during the interview where, where the dude and Walter are trying to get Larry to, uh, you know, like fess up about stealing the car. Mm-hmm. Um, he, they, they, the, the reason they're at Larry's house is because the dude in the impound yard found a, 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 a wadded up social studies assignment inside the yes. car and it's got Larry's name on it. So, you know, because, uh, you know, his friend Walter, I was a security agency. He probably did some kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, transunion search and found mm-hmm. the kid and they figured out where they live. He was the son of Arthur Digby Sellers. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, cr- you know, a, a guy who wrote 160 episodes of Branded and uh, not exactly a lightweight, according no. to Walter. And uh, they go there and Walter, you know, is he really admires Arthur Digby Sellers in his work. Um, mm-hmm. And the guy is in an iron lung, unfortunately. Um, but his son is Larry and his son is tight lipped and will not admit his crimes. <laughs> and like this, this moment of while Walter is, is, uh, like taking out the windows on the Corvette, he's repeating the same phrase over and over again. This is what happens, Larry, when you fuck a stranger in the ass, yeah. he must say it 12 times. Yeah. And this particular moment, when you watch the big Lebowski on regular, like basic cable TV, the replacement phrase for this scene is this is what happens, Larry, when you find a stranger in the Alps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? That makes no sense. No, it doesn't. And now imagine John Goodman screaming this find phrase 12 times. Find a stranger in the Alps. When you find a stranger in the Alps. That has no... Oh my God, who comes up with this shit? I, I don't know. I mean, some real unfortunate asshole who's probably, you know, like underpaid. I mean, there's great ones, you know, like what, what do you, where'd you get that scar eating pineapple? Like, that's good. That's good. <laughs> that's good. It makes you know? sense. It, it's like kind of logical in some ways. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Right. Like, a stranger in the Alps. I, I mean. Is that a metaphor? Like, I, I, exactly. Cause, cause Did I mean, someone write that like, oh, this is so deep. Yeah. And, yeah. And great gonna make this film better <laughs> yeah exactly. he thought he was I'm improving change upon the, the coen brothers <laughs> prose right. to, to this i'm gonna take this I'm jackson pollock off the wall and put a little puce in it yeah i'm and, gonna and, improve the coen brothers writing yeah you goddamn right no you can't nobody can <laughs> exactly fuck you and he just came up with some alliteration i mean you <laughs> yeah. know it's just oh man yeah god dude <laughs> man uh, but can what what like one of the next uh, pieces of the plot that unfolds is when the dude goes to Jackie Treehorn's house. Yes, uh, he's Jackie, a pornographer. Yes, he is the pornographer who Bunny is in debt to. And earlier we had seen over at Maud's place that there was a porn movie that that, that Bunny had starred in, along with uh, Carl Hungus or yep. AKA Peter Uli, Stormare's Peter Stormare's character, character mm-hmm. the the nihilist. Uh, it was called uh, Log Jamming, <laughs> and a Jackie Treehorn production. <laughs> Log jamming. I'm here to fix Dinah Cobble. <laughs> <laughs> I am expert. <laughs> Man, it's great. We, we uh, do get to see Pellegrino again in this scene, too. Yes, he's, exactly. He's, he's the goon right. for uh, Treehorn. 
and he is you know just forever either like putting Jeff Bridges' head in a toilet or <laughs> punching him in the face. I mean, it's just that's what Mark Pellegrino's there for. Every time he gets punched in the face in this movie, they knock him out. It goes to the a dream sequence, you know, like and, a psychedelic trip almost. And this is where we get uh, gutter balls. Gutter uh, balls, yeah. Um, it's, the, a, it's you it's know a porno, right? Uh, because it's presented. Just like log jamming was when they put the tape in, you see, you know, a Jackie Treehorn production, log jamming, starring the dude and well, this is and gutter, yep, gutter yeah, balls, gutter balls, yes, uh, featuring Jeff Lebowski and Maude Lebowski, and man, um, such an imagination the dude has, because I, I have in my whole life never dreamed up a porno movie that incorporated all of my my preoccupations and hobbies. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe like, I have. I, 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 I don't know. I can't remember it yeah. if it happened. I, I guess someone needs to give me a spiked white Russian for that to trigger. <laughs> yes. But like the staging of the porn movie mm-hmm. where it's the, it's that gigantic hall um, that's like kind of uh, almost like like, uh, I don't know, like an underground cavern or like catacombs kind of thing yeah. that he walks into dressed as Carl Hungus mm-hmm. um, with with like a, a utility belt on and he's snapping his fingers and really cutting a rug. Jeff yeah. Bridges is in this in this scene. Yeah. Um, he rents shoes from Saddam Hussein, <laughs> um, who is behind a shoe rental that extends to the heavens. Yeah, like a bowling alley shoe rental. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and he's he's I, I guess this is bowling heaven. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Saddam gives him the shoes and he turns around to find like that there's this uh, kind of Busby Berkeley-esque staircase that yes. the dude is like now really like uh, we you know I mentioned Jeff Bridges re- you know really gotten some fancy moves here yeah. and I mean the he's coming work. oh my god nice. dude he, he's down he, the steps yeah he's yeah. like Fred Astaire in this scene yeah he's doing it I mean and uh I love I love how there's the, all these flapper girls around. Too. Oh they're, man! But yeah. they're, instead of these dresses, they have they're made of like bowling pins, right? So bowling good. pin headdresses. Yeah, and then out of the the the, the ladies there comes Maud dressed as a Viking maiden. This is my favorite Maud moment. Yeah, it's I think it's Julianne Moore's best performance in this too. I I love really it. okay. It's yeah, my favorite thing she does because just her face in it. Yes, something about like her eyes. I don't know what it is, but there's magic here where she's just like embodying this Viking character. It's very, and she's not really doing anything except right. being in the moment. And I think it's wonderful. Well, she gives herself over to it completely yeah. and it's very enticing. I mean, like uh-huh. this is a, this is a, a movie you, this is a, a porn movie you'd like to see and be in. Cause I mean, like, like Maude is, is obviously like down for it. And you know, when, when the dude holds up his bowling ball uh-huh. and, you know, kind of admires it, then brings it down and kind of like starts coaching Maud in they're, they're yeah. doing a, a dance kind of that, that is like teaching bowling. Yeah. Um, He's teaching her how to throw the bowling ball. Right. And it's this. It's sensuous. It's, it is. You know. Um, and then he throws the ball down the lane and he flies down the lane. <laughs> right. And, and he starts upskirting all the ladies. Going between the girl's legs. Right. And, um, yeah. He's. He's horizontally like flying through the air, almost like Superman. <laughs> Just, but like you know, he's but he's floating. He's floating. Yeah, you know, like laying there, and <laughs> yeah, he's just looking up the skirts. Right. You know how they did this? They um they had to composite it together. They oh. tried to do it real. Okay. Like in in all together, but the dude's too big, so they had to like put it together and shrink him down so he'd fit through the legs. <laughs> wow, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, uh, good special effect in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's totally seamless. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell. Um, so, 
the, the dreams that's the end of the dream sequence like, well so the, the after he goes through all the after he goes through the lady's legs it turns into a nightmare because that's when the the nihilists uh show up oh yeah with scissors yes because <laughs> they're the, gonna cut his they're Johnson gonna cut off, off his chanson <laughs> and they're wearing these like fucking red bodysuits yeah it's so funny dude. it's really bizarre it's like they're at a canucks game like and <laughs> yes, they got exactly. they got cartoonishly large scissors right like like they're gonna cut the head off a of Jack in the Box, man. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. And, and the the way they're running toward the dude, it's it's like they're running in place. Yeah. And the, it's such that like they're 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 kind of high uh, exaggerated steps where where their ankles are hitting their ass cheeks as they as they you know march. Yeah. Um. It yeah. reminds me of like old like 1930s animation in a way. Yeah. Like the weird characters and right, stuff. Right. Like Betty Boop world. Yes. I don't, yes. Uh, but it's a great visual. <laughs> <laughs> He he wakes up and he's getting arrested and shit. Right? right, he's in jail. Yeah, he's he like because he he had gone into a cab or something like that. And, and like yeah, or no, I'm sorry, the cab comes later. But yeah, he's he's picked up by the Malibu police. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Jackie Treehorn and his goons had apparently like you know played it as such like the dude was disturbing the peace. Right. Yeah. But he had gone over there to um to to you know like figure out what what Jackie Treehorn's um you know, part in all this was, and he finds out that, yeah, it's, it's because, uh, bunny owes, uh, Jackie some money. And right. at one point the, the dude tries a maneuver that you've seen in like a lot of detective movies where you, you see a character on the phone who writes something down on a piece of paper. Yes. And they, they take the paper with them and leave <laughs> the room. And then the other, the protagonist will go over and like use a pencil to like, you know, start like scribbling on there to like, you know, make out the, the rendering, the kind of the outline of what the previous yeah, piece of paper yeah. was. And like in, a, make a rubbing of it. Make a know? rubbing, exactly. Yeah. And in this case, Jackie Treehorn, for some reason, decided to doodle an erect penis on a man. <laughs> I mean, there's just... He gets a phone call yeah. and like starts writing something on the paper. <laughs> then he grabs the paper and says, I'll be right back. <laughs> and he leaves for like 60 seconds at the most. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and in this time frame, the dude gets up and is like, oh, he must have written down something really important. So he goes up, makes the rubbing on this... <laughs> On the paper, and it's like a, a doodle of a boner. <laughs> so he takes it with him, right? Because yes. he doesn't want him to know he like did that. Right. He puts it in his wallet or whatever. And it, again, these deep jokes. It comes up later at the police station. He's like, he gives the wallet to the cops, and the only ID he has is like a membership a, card a for Ralph's discount card. Yeah, is this your only identification? And then he pulls the paper out, and it's the rubbing of the of the freaking cock. Oh my god, dude. It's the amazing. police chief's just like what? <laughs> <laughs> and and he gives like the the dude you know like the, this whole spiel about being a um you know a, a gold bricking uh you know piece of shit and 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 he's he's saying really hateful stuff to the dude and he's he's essentially like like <laughs> I I know people are probably tired of hearing me talk about maintaining the status quo but that's what this dude's job is you know he tells him that right. Jackie Treehorn draws a lot of water in this town dude you don't you don't draw shit Lebowski <laughs> and I mean the the idea that you would take that you oh, that you couldn't see who the good guy is in this in I this situation it. I mean wow I love how the police chief is like just totally backing up the the pornographer in yes, the neighborhood exactly the pornographer who's also kind of mixed up in organized crime yeah, in some ways right? yes it's so funny uh and then he and then he just like in what looks like one of the most painful dude beatings in a whole movie full of them he throws his coffee mug at the dude like full force yeah, yeah. hits him right in the forehead and just ow you know and then he starts you know like working the body yeah like the coffee mug is like full of coffee 
But like, <laughs> you you think he's gonna like throw the coffee in right. his face? Right. He's gonna but he him. chucks the whole mug, Ugh. and the coffee remains inside the cup <sighs> as it hits him. So it like kind of explodes out a little bit. It's an unexpected. You, yeah. You don't think he's gonna like softball you like this? Like, <laughs> right. man, it's really funny. Wow. It's really it's laugh out loud. It is funny. There's tons of laugh out loud moments in this. It, movie. it looks like it hurts like hell, but yeah, yeah it's really funny. It does. It looks painful. <laughs> um, then he leaves, you know, and gets the cab ride, and this is where he says he hates the Eagles, and he gets kicked <laughs> out of the cab. I remember people saying that they hated the Eagles after this movie. It came became out. really cool it to hate the thing. Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why people come on? Because, because you don't like them. I know. I don't care like, if you don't like them, it's just. But wh- you don't like them because the dude doesn't like them. Exactly. That's stupid. It's it's really messed up. And unfortunately, when you're young, you do a lot of this kind of thing. You you, you yeah. You know, you claim certain you you stolen valor, dude. Right. You know, you you didn't hate the Eagles five minutes ago. All right. So who would you pick, CCR or the Eagles? Oh, you, uh, I had to choose one. Yeah. Um, CCR. I'm going CCR. Yeah. all the way. Me too. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be that. What about like Don Henley's solo career? Um, you know, no, I, you can keep it. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm staying away from right. It kind I, of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and John Fogarty's solo career also. Uh, you know, I, I no credence, man. I'm going credence. Credence Full on yeah. all the time. Give me the credence. <laughs> the credence. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could throw credence in this episode, but we probably will get shut down oh, by some course. music My God. company. Yes, sued our asses oh, off, man. Anyway, he goes home and Maud is there. Yeah. And she wants to fornicate. Jeffrey, love me. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Yes. And it's not a sex scene. No. She's just like, love me. And then it cuts <laughs> to them in bed. And it's the aftermath of them, yeah, yeah, having done it. And she asks him about himself and he tells, you know, gives some of his backstory. Again, yeah. stuff that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, like we didn't need to know that. And he was a roadie for Metallica. Exactly. For like one tour. Bunch of assholes, really. Bunch of assholes. Yeah. Um, he he um, was part of the uh, Seattle 7. And, uh, you know, he, he wrote, I can't remember the document He's that he like, made. He's like, the Seattle 7, that was me and six, and other, six guys. other guys. six other guys. So good. Um, the Huron State, the Port Huron Statement was what he, uh, you know, authored. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, not the compromised second draft. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man, this scene yes. is so funny <laughs> in unconventional ways. And then... In, in the, the best dude moment, it says everything about him. He's smoking that, that spliff, and uh-huh. it's like, it's just a, a very small roach. He's got the tiniest roach on yes. this clip, man. And and he and he's obviously been smoking on it for quite a long time, and there's barely any resin left, pretty much, And but he's still after it, and he chokes on it. Yeah. And he has to get up and kind of compose himself, and when he does, he goes, he offers, you know, to, he, he picks up a t-shirt and smells it first. <laughs> Then he puts it on. And he goes and makes a white Russian with this warm half and half, this room temp ah. half and half. It's been there for weeks, probably. I mean, good Lord. And he takes a sniff of that, too. And he off, he, he, off, he says, you know, cocktail? Uh, no, thank yeah. you. And That's his life. The sniff test. <laughs> yeah. That's Does right. this smell right? That's right. Oh, shit. Uh, but... And... When he sees what's going on on the the, bed. So the whole time this is happening, (laughs) she's like got her legs like up against her chest in a fetal position, like (laughs) trying. I mean, we all know what she's doing, Uh but like the dude just is like, he's oblivious. oblivious. Right. He's oblivious to this. And finally asks her, oh, what are you doing? Is that yoga? (laughs) (laughs) And 
she says no it helps you like get inseminated basically i mean it's like she's maud is like the most matter of fact person who ever yes. lived really and yeah. you know like she knows what his reaction is going to be but she just says whatever she's whatever you know comes to her mind at yeah. any point it, it improves the chances of conception <laughs> you know like she and he does a spit take spit and take. you know tries to tell him he tries to tell her hey look you know i'm not and she's just fully like well no i don't care I, I'm, yeah. this is not I, I want a baby but I don't want you um, yeah, I you don't know. want a man around right. and I don't want someone who's going to try to be around yep so perfect works out for me yeah and dude, the dude's just like okay <laughs> he's <laughs> exactly, fine with yes, it I guess no problem <laughs> he realizes that's why she sent him to the doctor right yeah um, you know and, and he apparently got jerked off at the doctor exactly I, mean, I was going to ask you yeah, like, yeah, so, what? so he goes to the doctor and he tells him to take <laughs> off his shorts and he's because he's there because he got punched in the chin right and the doctor says, all right, take off your shorts. And he's like, no, it's just my chin, man. <laughs> so he tells him again to take his shorts off. And it smash cuts to the dude in the car. Just in, he's having a great day. Right. He is, he's on cloud nine. So immediately it's like, what did this doctor do to him? Exactly. He obviously got pleasured. Right. Right. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> looking out my back doors blasting it. on the tape deck and then later like maude even says like the doctor he checked everything made sure you're good right? like that's why she sent him there so she could know if he's gonna work when she gets pregnant right or not. i mean it's just, he's a good man jeffrey and thorough he's thorough <laughs> did you go to that doctor yes oh yeah yeah she wants to make sure he did that um and you know like so from the, right right at the beginning yeah she, she knows this is the guy right yeah, she she scoped it out. I mean, like like so she has good. done all of her homework, and yeah. and she also we also kind of find out too that like from Maud that she is not just a rich man's daughter. It's it's actually like all the family fortune has come from her efforts and their and her deceased mother. Yeah, um, the 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 big Lebowski who you know claims that that uh, you know he's a self made man and he, he's you know this this millionaire who yeah um, it, it, it's all bullshit. You know, you know, she's, you know, father's right. vanity, you know, as far as all the stuff like not mattering, that's kind of a shocking reveal. Yeah. You know, the first time you see it, that even he was full of shit. Yeah. You know, you, you think that like, at least this guy is definitely Mr. Potter. He's not. Yeah. And Walter thinks he's full of shit because yes. they, the, oh, the dude man. and Walter oh. go to confront him because now <sighs> Bunny has returned. Right. Apparently she just went to Palm Springs or something with yeah. her friends yes. and didn't say anything. <sighs> And the nihilists were trying to get money out of the Big Lebowski. They're, they sent this ransom note that was totally fake. And it just so happened to coincide with when Bunny was on vacation. Right. So Walter and the dude know this and they go back and confront the Big Lebowski. And Walter's saying, I know this guy can walk. <sighs> I can see it. I've seen a lot of spinals in my time, dude. Yeah. So he grabs the Big Lebowski out of his wheelchair and just tosses him on the ground. And he's just laying there it's so pathetic <laughs> it's so sad it's sad it's sad for walter like yeah you, you, you feel like walter is such an idiot like what dude how embarrassing and the dude just like looks at him with this you know like like it, he, he's probably given him this look a million times in his life oh, yeah. which is just like you know walter for god's the sake whole, the whole movie is this is their relationship it's, right it's like a defunct marriage or something oh, yeah. you know like yeah 
Walter is going crazy, and the dude is telling him to shut the... Like, you're an asshole, man. Stop. Earlier in the movie... You're after, right, but you you're know, an asshole. You're right, but you're an asshole. Exactly. Yeah. And earlier in the movie, when when they, they had the, the, the encounter with Larry... Um, the, the next day, uh, the, the dude is like uh, trying to like kind of goon proof his house. Yeah. And he's talking on the phone to Walter and he says, I accept your apology. And then they go back and forth and he goes, no, Walter, it did not look like Larry was about to crack. Mm-hmm. You know, like Walter, even after that whole thing is still so crazed yeah. and, and he, he really thinks, and he still thinks he's right. I bet after he figured out that like, um, after he threw the big Lebowski on the floor, you know, they yeah. probably had the same phone conversation, and Walter was probably still saying that that he feels like the 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 Big Lebowski is a fake. He's not really a paraplegic. Yeah, he still I'm thinks sure. he's right. Yeah, and they they have these back and forths throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and it's like blowouts almost, but they, immediately they're like best friends again right afterwards. Right. You know, right? Like on that phone call, like they're yelling at each other, like they're just having the biggest fight ever, and they they hate each other. The relationship <laughs> is broken now, right. and there's like a two second pause, and he's like. Yeah, yeah, I'll be at practice. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be, they're gonna see each other in a couple hours bowling practice. You yeah, know? I'll be at practice. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so good, dude. <laughs> um, yeah. So after like the 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 whole point of the whole thing of the mystery unfolding, I mean, like when he throws the big Lebowski on the floor, <laughs> and he's just the poor guy. They put him back in his chair, and they're at the bowling alley again. And you're thinking that like this is over now. Because yeah. the, the, the it's it's been revealed that uh you know Bunny was never kidnapped right and there never was any money in the briefcase that they gave the dude and this was just a whole scheme by the Big Lebowski to to you know like hide some money yeah so he to, could have a yeah. million dollars they get done bowling they come outside and the dude's car is on fire yeah and uh it's the nihilists who mm-hmm. are there to extract their pound of flesh because in the intervening moments between like when uh the when when the kidnapping was still like thought to be real mm-hmm. they had sent their girlfriends toe in the mail right claiming this is bunnies you know and you know you keep we're going to send all 10 of them at some point yep and poor amy man got her little toe cut off yeah for nothing because like they don't realize that the whole thing was a was a scam and now they're going to try to shake down the dude and walter for what they you know thought they had coming to their last chance to get something out of this scheme yes and walter's like no we're not doing this we don't have money and they're like the the fucking nihilists know there's no money and they're like well, just give us what you have on you. Oh, like you, just you a common mugging losers. <laughs> and the dude's like, I got like four dollars, <laughs> almost five. Yeah, <laughs> almost five. Right. <laughs> got like change. Yes, he's got change in that wallet, dude. So, so the dude and Donnie are are <laughs> pulling out some money to give to the nihilists, and Walter is like, No, we're right. not giving them anything. Fuck these guys. We're going to fight to the death. Yeah. You know, that's his mentality. Right. 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 And so Walter starts fighting him, throws his bowling ball and hits Flea in the crotch. Man, when when F- when Flea takes that that bowling ball to the bread basket, yeah. I mean, like that looked painful as oh, hell. And it looked like it knocked the wind out of him too. I mean, because imagine like John Goodman throwing a bowling ball at you full force. <laughs> I mean, you would, yeah, you'd perish. No, thank you. Right. And then, like, the dude's trying to, like, give his money to the other guy. Like, while he's, like, <laughs> trying, trying to fight him. Yes. He's like, no, dude, here, here, take, take these four take bucks. Take some money. He's holding four dollars <laughs> in one hand and his wallet in the other. Kind of in a defensive position. Right. Trying to, like, trying to hand, like, a banana to a gorilla. Right. You know, you're like, you're careful. You're like, no, take it, take it. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, Peter's over here 
pulls out a sword? Yeah. Like a katana? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and Walter punches him into the sun pretty much. Yeah, right. And throughout this whole episode, like the Nihilists eventually run off, but Donnie has a heart attack. Yeah. The poor guy. Poor dude, man. I mean, you know, like all, he puts up with Walter for all these years. Yeah. Uh, he wears awesome vintage bowling shirts that, you know, like a different one every time. He's a great guy, obviously loves surfing. Yeah. And this is the end he comes to. Well, what gets me is this is Walter's fault. Of man. course it is. They didn't have to fight these guys. They could have gave him fifteen dollars and thirty two cents, and they would have been over. Exactly that that, that would have. But because like, of Walter's hot headedness uh, and his thick numbskull mentality, Donnie has a heart attack and dies. Yeah, it, it's it's really unfair. And, and this is the end of the movie. Now, like it cuts to the dude and Walter at uh, the funeral home. I yeah, guess getting yeah. the remains of Donnie with with and yes. they they have this big argument with the funeral director about the urn costing one hundred eighty dollars. <laughs> It's our most modestly priced receptacle. Oh, you you know what, dude? You're an receptacle. asshole. I, you, you, Come you, on, fuck you. Honestly, I, and not just not just Francis Donnelly of this funeral home, but like <laughs> like really any mortuary. I know it's an honest business and it's a recession-proof business. That's why people get into it. But it really kind of burns my ass that like you can in our society make a living by working with the dead and make a real good living. It's not even an honest living. It's like you are making a lot of money at all times because you always have clients and you can charge people grieving people $180 for your most modestly priced receptacle. Even in 1997, that's a lot of money to 3000. Fuck you, dude. That doesn't make a difference. It's $180 still. <laughs> right. So I'm not spending 3000 so it's okay to spend uh, $180. God I damn, dude. They're, they're upset because they're not going to keep the ashes. They're going to spread them. I mean, right. Maybe if they were keeping it, they might shell out, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but they're not having this. They're just going to spread the ashes. And this goes on for like several minutes. Yes. <laughs> and eventually, Walter's like, is there a Ralph's around here? <laughs> And then we see them going to the ocean with a coffee can full of Johnny's ashes. A fucking Folgers coffee can. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it, it, it got it so good. And, and Wal- Walter gives his speech. It's great eulogy. You know, the eulogy and dumps the ashes. And they just, the wind kicks it back up into the dude's face. <laughs> it's one of the, one of the funniest shots. It is super of any movie. funny. Yeah. Like it's, just a great physical game. And I knew it was coming. Yeah. I knew it was coming. Cause you can see the wind kind yeah. of in the scene and you're yeah. like, something's going to happen, dude. <laughs> something's going to happen. <laughs> and just the, the, the camera put right on Jeff Bridges and like the wind picks up and he's just, he's he just doesn't covered react. with ash. He just doesn't, he doesn't nope, react. He nope. just gets coated in this ash. <laughs> And it just, it coats his whole, all of his facial hair and like his... Oh yeah, he's gray. Yeah, he's, he's totally gray now. And eventually Walter turns around and sees what just happened. And during his speech, during his eulogy, he had of course worked Vietnam into it. Yeah. Um, which really annoys the dude. Yep. And what does that have to do with anything? Uh, yeah. And it's the only time Walter doesn't react in the way Walter usually reacts. He immediately says, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, dude. I'm so sorry, dude. And he's and he looks like a little kid. He is legitimately sorry. Right. It's his most vulnerable moment. His most human vulnerable. You're right. Yeah. Um, and he's got his head down and he's standing there. He looks like a, a kid in the principal's office who is afraid of going home. Right. You know, because uh, he knows. And like eventually he it's a really adorable hug that he gives the dude. Yeah. And like the dude looks like he's going to pull away. But eventually he's like, 
he just kind of like lets it happen. He doesn't really hug back, but he's because you can't hug John Goodman back. <laughs> you know, it's, you it's just impossible. Yeah, right. Um, he's he's just so massive, yeah. and like he just God damn it, Walter. But he's like he's still feeling good, and he he knows Walter's his friend. Yeah, you know, uh, it's. It's the culmination of everything we've seen them go through, man. Right. Like their bond is very strong. Right. <laughs> um, and and during the eulogy, John Goodman says one thing. He says, "In accordance with what we think your dying wishes might well have been," like <laughs> implying like they're just kind of making it up. Like they don't really know what he wants, and they just fucking. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like the dude and Walter are actually like. <laughs> Donnie's beneficiaries or something? They're like, like yeah. I mean, <laughs> Donnie has no family or friends I, I, or anything I, I except guess, for these two guys. I guess it's not. It's kind of sad. It's really sad. And man, like Donnie, Donnie opens the movie with a strike in the bowling yeah. alley, and the last scene, he hits a nine, and he's dejected. <sighs> right Boy. before he dies, man, they bookend him so well. Boy, you know, Donnie really is a tragic character. Yeah. Um, and this might be like it's one of Steve Buscemi's. At the same time, best and most thankless roles. Yeah. You know, because like a lot of actors, if they saw the script for what Donnie was, they'd yeah. say, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there there are unfortunately many actors who don't want to play someone that they'll, they'll play an evil character, but they won't play a character who's like shit on or a character who's like not too swift. Yeah. Steve Buscemi doesn't or care. Pathetic, or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He, he's like, he just totally goes for it. You know, like when, they, when they're arguing about the, you know, like, you know, well, they're going to cut off my Johnson, man. He goes, yeah. what do you need that for, dude? <laughs> <laughs> That's you such know? a funny line. It's a though. great line. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, no one, a lot of actors would not want to be portrayed as someone who's this dense and uh-huh. Steve Buscemi rules. So he just goes for it. Um, man, that's like the end. Yeah. They go back to the bowling alley and <laughs> Sam Elliott's there with his final, you know, uh-huh. voiceover for the movie or whatever. And he's, he's, he has this great line too, where he, like the dude first sees him cause they had encountered each other previously. Yeah. And like he, the dude sees him and says, Oh, Hey, what's up, man? You know? Uh, yeah. uh, he goes, Oh yeah. I wouldn't miss the semis. <laughs> you wouldn't, it, that's the most, it's the strangest thing that this guy just shows up it's at bowling leagues. He's because, just a fan. Is he even real though? Like, well, I don't I, even know. May, where. Yeah. <laughs> cause the movie no. starts with a voiceover from right. him. You don't see him. Then he shows up midway through the movie and has like a 30 second conversation with the dude. And, okay. And then he shows up at the end to he, kind of, I believe recap. he, I believe he is real because okay. he does talk to Gary, the bartender. Okay. Like he asked for Sarper, uh, Sarsaparilla yeah. two times and the guy acknowledges it and gives it to him. Okay. So either Gary and the dude are having the same hallucination or this guy really is real. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm still up in the air on it. Okay. I mean, this movie does go into surreal territory quite often. Oh, actually, absolutely. So. Because like we, we mentioned um, the uh, uh, gutter balls sequence. I yeah. mean, that wasn't the first time that Maude appeared in one of the dude's uh, like beat him up induced hallucinations. Yeah. Because the first time he gets jacked, he gets he's like thinking about like Maude on the magic carpet yeah, over L.A. Away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it does go into not only like surreal, but like dreamlike, you know, yeah. sequences at all, all time. And, and most of that is obviously the dude is pretty heavily sedated yeah. almost all day. Right, yeah. So that's part of it. And the funny thing is like with Sam Elliott, when he's doing the, the intro to the movie and the outro of the movie, like 
he's trying to make some kind of point about being a man or <laughs> right. doing something, right. but it just kind of is rambling <laughs> and nothing comes of it, which I think is perfect because that's what the movie is. It's so you know? indicative. It just knows itself. Yeah. I mean, oh. and, and the, the, when he's explaining like, like things he liked about the story and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really like Donnie dying, um, <laughs> You know, it, it's so, I mean, it calls attention to itself, but in the best possible way, he's not winking at the audience at all. He's just like, he's yeah. still, he still is a lived in character in the story. Um, while also commenting on things that we just watched. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. yeah. Really, really tightly uh, woven. And that, and that is literally the end of the movie there. Like <laughs> it's, it's great. Cue Towns Van Zant, and we're out. Yeah, dude. And like right before it ends, he asked the dude, you know how he's doing. He says strikes and gutters, man, ups and downs. And that's just life, isn't it? You know, sometimes you get a strike, sometimes you throw a gutter ball, and you just keep going. I mean, the dude <laughs> abides, man. The dude abides. And uh <laughs> and I and that's the other my other favorite like that might be my favorite Sam Elliott moment is when he reacts to that dude abides line by looking into the camera and goes, The dude abides. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, dude. <laughs> man dude yeah awesome um one thing i heard the coens did with this movie wrapping up here i guess um they they were interviewed by floor covering weekly oh because of the rug well, how about that the rug subplot i guess that, that's or main plot nice um <laughs> jury, they said they got first off floor covering weekly <laughs> weekly every dude, week yes. this magazine comes holy out. crap but uh, <laughs> They, they told this story how they got interviewed by a journalist for Floor Covering Weekly, and the journalist just couldn't get off the phone fast enough. They didn't want anything to do with them. Like, Jeez, man. I don't know how it got set up, but the, the Coens said they just kept rambling, and you can tell this journalist wanted off the phone. <laughs> and eventually, they suspect that it might have been a hoax. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I mean, they they offered to do a photo shoot for the cover, and the the journalist is like, no, uh-huh. no, we're not doing that. Wow, like, oh, dude, wow. they think it might have been a hoax because they never saw the magazine come out. Well, yeah, <laughs> they never... I'll, I'll have to look up the actual the actual magazine itself to see if it, I mean, because I mean, floor covering weekly that sounds like a, a compelling yeah, yeah. periodical. It's pretty hilarious. That floor <laughs> covering weekly interviewed them. Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, Anything else you got you uh, want to touch? Yeah, just a couple things. Um, like, obviously, we, we, we've talked about some of the... Um, we haven't talked about really the inspirations for some of the stuff in this movie. Yeah. Uh, um, Jeff Dowd was apparently the inspiration for the dude. Yeah. Um, him and some other people, just like people the Coens have known over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, a film producer who was also just this, this kind of guy in L.A. who never seemed to be working and was mm-hmm. always stoned and just really took it easy in life. And then... Walter was partially inspired by filmmaker John Milius, uh, who was the uh, writer director of Conan. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, he was also just, I guess, a, a kind of a gun nut, you know, uh, and he was and he was like always <laughs> he always had a lot of beefs with a lot of people yeah. and uh, he was always ready to fight, apparently. <sighs> um, and then the other thing, the art direction in this movie, there's a Guji motif um it, it's in like the opening credits and and other parts of the movie like the you know the lights outside the bowling alley yeah that are kind of those big starbursts neon and, uh-huh. and um guji was a uh 
a futuristic architecture style with like, you know, bold neon colors and, and like geometric shapes that was informed or influenced by like space age, atomic age design. Okay. Um, and it was designed to look futuristic in the fifties, but you know, looking at it now, it looks retro. Yeah. Um, so that, that's an interesting aspect of it. Cause like in the opening title credits, you see the, the Guji stars around the big Lebowski right, yeah. uh, title card. Um, and if you go on to uh, Instagram and look up Allison Martino, she has a great like account that features like focuses on vintage Los Angeles and it has tons of great like photos and, and footage of uh, a lot of this um, of this Guji architecture. That's awesome, man. I didn't yeah. know that was called Guji. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I love that style. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And and I because I, I found that same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've always known what that was and I've always liked it. But I, you know, now that I know what it is, it, mm-hmm. it's even better. Oh, man. So, um. Would you recommend the movie, Dave? Dude, I mean, honestly, easily, yeah, yes. You can tell. Exactly. It's kind of like, I, I, it's, it's a weird thing that what happens with cult movies where it, it truly does. I don't go to conventions and I've never seen it on the big screen with an audience. Where yeah. It's now to the point where people like treat it like Rocky Horror. Yeah. Um, and I've never done that. But like, I understand why people do it, and I understand why people want to go to conventions and dress like the characters. This movie is a way of life, and it really is... Um, if if you want to base your life around the teachings of the dude, I got no problem with you, you know, because this, yeah, five stars, full-throated recommend. Yeah, I'm going with the five star. Mm-hmm. Definitely recommend. Yeah. Wonderful movie. I I went in this rewatch thinking, you know, it'll be fine. It's a good movie. Yeah. I don't love it. Right. I'm converted. Holy shit. I've been converted See, to dudism. I'm I, a dudist. I knew it. <laughs> Yes, of course. And I, and I knew that would happen like at some point in your life because I know you'd seen it like a handful of times and yeah. we didn't we never really talked about it. Right. Um but I am you know wh- whenever the conversion happens it's all it's it's perfect. I'm I'm really happy about it too. Like this is why I threw it on the schedule because mm-hmm. this was my pick for a movie guys and uh I wanted to see what I thought about it nowadays. Yeah. And Jesus Christ, it's yeah. good. It's it it really is. It's it is a it is a an expertly made movie by, of course, the Coen brothers, who are some of the greatest filmmakers who ever lived. Yeah, exactly. So that wraps things up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast, rate it, review it, and most of all, share it. That gets more dudes listening to the dudes. You can also go to dudesonmovie.com and find anything you need right there. Yes, and we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for Dudes on Movies, and our email address is dudesonmovies at gmail.com. That's right. And Dave, we have a question of the week. What is the question of the week? Uh, what is your favorite movie in which Los Angeles is a character? Oh, follow-up from a few weeks ago mm-hmm. where New York was a character. Now we need to know Los Angeles. Yes. Call in to our voicemail, 628-400-DUDE. That's 628-400-3833. Leave us a message. Tell us what you think. Call us for any reason. Yeah, you don't care, exactly. man. The dudes abide. <laughs> and stay tuned next week for 2003's Shattered Glass, directed by Billy Ray and starring... Hayden Christensen. So until next week, I'm your dude, Scott. I'm your dude, Dave. And we'll see you next time. Dude.